0: Hello and welcome to ACX Everywhere 2023. I'm Andrew Wilson, and this episode is a series of candid conversations recorded at an ACX Everywhere meetup in Austin, Texas in September of 2023. I really like this episode because of the optimism in it. The first part is a conversation with Peter Voss of IGO AI, and he has some refreshingly optimistic takes on AI research, how it's going, how we're going to get to AGI and I really liked Peter's takes. The second part of the episode is a conversation about being pro-natalist, about the population crisis, demographics, and how being part of a rationalist community can be incredibly helpful if people are thinking about having a family. Like I said, I find the optimism inspirational, and I hope you enjoy these conversations. Kabam, there it is, and so now it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> nice. If we want to introduce ourselves, that is absolutely fine. If not, yeah, some people were wanting to use pseudonyms and things, which I obviously, no problem with that. But yeah, I'm Andrew Wilson, Sacramento, and we are at the Austin ACX Everywhere Meetup 2023.
1: Cool. Uh, sure. I'm William Hoppus, previously out of Sacramento. I'm now out of Houston.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'm Peter Voss. And I also recently moved to Houston from Los Angeles. Oh, nice. Excellent.
3: I'm Silas Barda. I organized the Austin uh, ACX Less Wrong meetup.
0: And there we have it. Yeah, we're knowing that we're in a beautiful park. We got shade, delicious breakfast tacos. Yeah. yeah. What could be, what could be better?
3: Yeah, I ordered some on the assumption it'd be the same attendance <laughs> as last year, which we quite don't make this year, but we got plenty, so.
0: No, absolutely. No, and I'm sure people, I think 12 to five, right, people will be be probably rolling in if i know if i know people yes one thing peter yeah you were talking about well i mean we should just jump right into ai uh you had some less doomery arguments if i if i understood what you were talking about earlier
2: yes a lot of things to talk about one of one of them first of all i don't believe there's much risk in agi that's a that's a long argument, mm-hmm. but the other thing we were just talking about is that uh, current LLMs, GPT type or transformer type approaches, are not going to get us to AGI. So I think any assessment of what the risks are of LLMs or, or of AGI, really shouldn't be taking into or shouldn't be assuming that they'll be LLM based and will have the sort of properties of, of large language models.
0: Gotcha. And then, Bill, you said there was a point when you guys were talking earlier, something that, that really resonated with you?
1: Sorry, so where this clicked for me, because I hadn't heard this argument, the thing that clicked for me is most, uh, sorry, your brain learns. Your brain learns incrementally. If you get a current model and let's say we got a gigabyte of data and we fed it in and then we got another, you know, 0.1 gigabytes, we have to take the current model and, and retrain it on that entire 1.1 gigabytes. Like if I wanted to cause background, I'm a data scientist for a mid-size health system, mostly in the trenches, so don't get to do too much ML work. But if I do some ML work and we get some new data, I almost always have to retrain the entire thing on every bit of new data. So if we're looking at the past 30 years of people who have come in with, say, potential heart conditions, and we want to train it on this new month's data, we don't train it on just add that new month's data. We have to do the entire 20 years plus one month.
0: Which is expensive.
1: Yeah, and it it's also just not the way our brain works. And if you think about how you would imagine an AGI. So Peter, he's shared that he has difficulty conveying this succinctly to VCs, I get that. And correct me if I'm wrong, because I might be going over, but that's what clicked to me like, oh, If you've got an LLM, and the way I understand the current LLMs, don't get me wrong, are super exciting. But if if I'm understanding everything right, if those see some new stuff, they've got to be retrained on everything. And that's not a long-term path to a real AGI. A real AGI, like one of the fundamental things it's got to be able to do is incorporate what it sees second by second, minute by minute, hour by hour, to the total corpus of what it's experienced in its life. Cause that's what you and I do. I've got everything I've learned in my life. I learned something new. Sorry, I turned my way. I learned something new and you know, 30 minutes ago or whatever, and it gets incorporated yep. and the modern LLMs, no matter how complex they get, if I'm understanding Peter right, fundamentally can't do that. And yep. I'm, I will say in my experience, there are a few algorithms cause you just, grab it in R or Python and run it. There's a couple algorithms that will like allow you to incorporate slight bits of new data, but in general you retrain everything and no one really, I've heard of, use the ones that incrementally improve. Is that fair?
2: Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And a couple of things, so the The reason you have to retrain everything is because it uses backpropagation, and it really needs all of the data. Now, some people might push back on saying an LLM can't learn in real time. And, you know, there are two attempts, two different ways in which people try to get LLMs to learn in real time. The one is basically through the context buffer. Um, But that information isn't integrated into your pre-trained model it, you know, affects it temporarily, but it's not, doesn't change it. So, you know, like the conversation we had about LLMs, yeah. change, it fundamentally changed the way you, you think about things. It changed and updated your whole model. You know, it's not just a temporary thing. So that's one way is basically with the, the, the buffer. And also the buffer gets confused. We actually just published a white paper where we did a, a benchmark test utilizing our cognitive AI model that we ourselves develop, which can learn incrementally. And we gave it about 400 facts, simple facts, you know, just facts about life. You know, Mm -hmm. my my sister has a cat, you know, park my my car in the street and different Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And then we asked it a few hundred questions about that. And ChatGPT basically got less than 1% right Mm. because it just Mm. ran out of buffer. So we we then, okay, that's unfair. Let's use something with a big enough buffer. So we used Claude, Claude 2, which had a buffer big enough for all of the stuff we fed in. It still only got, I think, 37% right, Mm. where with our approach, we get 100% right because it remembers everything, you know. So Claude gets confused with the stuff that's in the buffer. And that's really not fixable because that information you feed into the buffer does not update your 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 model
1: let me let me make sure i understand the term buffer correctly so let's say i pop open the bing ai chatbot Mm. or whatever what i'm hearing is like so those initial prompts i do Mm. is that fundamentally the buffer like all right so this is the equivalent of it i go into bing chatbot or ai and i go hey here are five six facts and then i ask it about those facts it will not both there's limitations to the accuracy you can get off that and yeah. there's just limits to how much data it can remember.
2: Well, as I said, ChatGPT for the test we did with a yeah, few yeah. hundred things, the buffer simply wasn't big enough. So yeah. it just didn't remember. But even if the buffer is big enough, because it doesn't integrate this information, mm-hmm. it can't actually answer questions properly. So that's one way in which people try to add real-time memory. The other way is to basically add an, add an external database usually some kind of a vector graph vector database
1: Sorry, so is this like the the wolfram alpha thing that he wrote about
2: yeah some something i think that's similar to that yes okay, got yeah you. but again the information isn't integrated you know it's, it's yeah. in an external database so when you ask a question about it it you know doesn't know whether it should be looking at the database or not so mm. it again doesn't update the core model so
0: but it's a complexity spiral then, right? Because the yeah. databases are, yeah, I mean, then you get different layers and it's not exactly. integrated. So you're going to get this kind of exponential that, that, complexity. exactly right. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, even, even Sam Altman and Demi Sasabi say that LLMs are not going to get us to AGI. So it shouldn't be that controversial, actually. You know? Yeah. But it is because so much money is flowing into it. Yeah. <laughs> and they're
3: popular right now. People get a lot of, they can see concrete practical use of them. That's a quantum leap. Sorry, the expression uh, over what we've seen before. Yeah. I know I'm sur- nowhere near an expert as, as you guys are on on the progress of AI and, and the you know, latest developments. And it was a big surprise to me though that like finally we are having AIs that we can like talk to. So at least from my perspective, as being much closer to a to a layperson, it's like, hey, whoa, 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 what's the deal? Aren't aren't we already there? Aren't, isn't it already finished?
2: Right, right. No, I mean absolutely. Transformers have transformed. <laughs> you know the whole scene. It's amazing what they can do. And I mean. You know, people working on AI did not expect this. Yeah. I mean, it took everybody by surprise of how much you could get out of just scaling the technology, you know, just training that was yeah. much, much bigger.
0: Scale is all you need, right? Yeah, yeah. I saw t-shirts like that in California.
2: And, you know, I mean, absolutely. A lot of money can be made and it does a lot of useful stuff, but it's not AGI. Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: Like, it if if it can't learn if it has to retrain the entire thing from scratch every time it gets new data it can't update like our brain and and you've talked about this it's it's a complex thing that's really difficult to simplify down to one or two sentences
0: yeah i mean yeah we can talk about other stuff too that was no, no, a, no, i mean,
1: there's interesting downstream stuff so just number 1 just from a personal perspective how how far are you cuz you said you've got clients you said you've got use cases for this now so I don't want to ask, like, how far is this from practical applications? But sorry, because I medical side, I asked, hey, is this something you'd be able to do in like for hospitals for helping us read doctor's notes for like, is grandpa going to get cancer? Is he going to get blood poisoning? It doesn't sound like your company's there. But what's the... You're and, and we'll get to that in a sec. I, I really want to ask, because you're like, yes, AGI, it's awesome. Let's get there. We're all going to be beautiful. But what are those realistic timelines looking like? Like, I'm, I'm a hospital. I've got epics, delightful and beautiful in every way machine learning model to predict various diseases. I yeah. want to incorporate. What does your timeline look like for that to become practical? Does that make sense to try and make yeah, it yeah. more real?
2: So, so a couple of things here. To do statistical analysis, you know, we have very powerful statistical systems if you have a lot of data. Yes. And and that's something that humans aren't actually particularly good at. Yeah. So AGI wouldn't necessarily be good at taking a lot of data and doing a statistical analysis on that. But it would be a tool user. So like humans, it could use a tool to say, yes. hey, take all of this massive amount of data and crunch it, and and tell me what correlations you can you can see. So, so AGI shouldn't be judged against outcome computing large statistical models. Yes. It really needs to, needs to be compared for what humans are good at: exact incremental learning and metacognition, thinking about your thinking, being aware of what you're thinking about. Yes concept formation, being able to form new concepts on the fly. Those are the kinds of things that, that are going to be important. Now, to answer your question in terms of how long do I think it will take to get yeah. to AGI, well, I usually answer that in, not in years, but in dollars.
1: <laughs> nice. I say that's a little optimistic. Like, oh, Well, it's
0: yeah. more quantifiable. <laughs>
2: you know? and, and the reason for that is, is really there, you know, and you know, I'm, I'm going to get flack for this, but virtually nobody's working on AGI these days the money that's going in is not actually because if you're working on llms if you're working on scaling them up if you're working on building customized chips to speed up training for llms Mm -hmm. you're not working on agi i mean we've just established llms are not a path to agi so anybody working on llms which is practically everybody is not working on agi
0: what about carmack because carmack he's doing his own his own thing and i'm not technical enough to understand what he's doing but if there's anyone i was going to be a like wary of like actually like doing a breakthrough it would yeah, be john carmack I'm not
2: yeah i'm not familiar yeah. with what he's doing the little bit that i read was also that he's looking at kind of big data statistics oh, okay approaches. Mm-hmm. gotcha so you know some answer to how soon we could get it is we need enough people working on real agi on having the right approach to to basically crack the problems to scale it up now you know we've been working on it a, we're a Tiny team by comparison. I mean, Amazon had fifteen thousand people working on Alexa. For God's sake, yeah. what did that get us? You know. Yeah. Now we don't need fifteen thousand people, but mm-hmm. we need more than the ten people we have working on it. So it's really, I mean, whether we we crack it or somebody else cracks it, mm-hmm. you need to have people working, you know, using the right approach, having the right theory, and using the right approach. And mm-hmm. as I say, very very few few people in the world are doing it. You know. Few months ago, I was at the AGI, the annual AGI conference, which is sort of the the hardcore AGI people meeting. And you know, there's nothing that's well funded that mm-hmm. seems to be on the right track. You know, interesting because again, even even the people at the AGI conference, what are they working on? To fiddling with LLMs because that's what they can get funded.
0: Yeah, you know? damn. See, yeah, as also like not being technical, uh, that was not what I was expecting to hear. And also, yeah, the way you're explaining it, it makes sense. Less so, yeah. Maybe I'm less of a doomer now than I was 15 minutes ago.
1: <laughs> good, good. <laughs> Don't take this the wrong way, but there's something confusing me here, which is if I was Sam Altman and I Microsoft was basically here's the checkbook, get me AI. This is if nothing else, how we're going to screw over Alphabet. <laughs> and I'm like, in Sam Altman, okay. Actually, weird question. Why doesn't Sam Altman? By this argument, why doesn't Sam Altman drive down to Houston, beat you over the head with a sack of money until you come <laughs> work for like like it? Joe, but it's also like, look, this this sounds credible. I get it. You're, as far as I can tell, telling yeah. people what's what's
2: going on. Right. So first of all, it's hard to get to these people. Okay. So there there are two problems. The one is to even have that conversation, you know, with an open mind. I mean, often when you get into the conversation, you just shut down and saying, hey, we're making a lot of money. Had lots of conversations like that. You "You may be right, but I'm making, you know, we have a path, we have momentum. We're We're doing what we're doing. You know, I don't need your help, basically, you know. So there's sort of this defensive mechanism. But it goes deeper than that. It's the people in charge of AI today are not cognitive psychologists. They are They are basically statisticians, mathematicians, logicians. That's their background. And it's very hard to find people who can basically think in terms of cognitive psychology. You know, what does thinking involve? Or even philosophy, epistemology, how do we know anything? What is important in human intelligence? It's a completely different kind of mindset to think about how do we think? How do we learn, you know, what is intelligence versus, you know, how do I build an effective algorithm? So very few people, and I've, I've hired a lot of brilliant engineers over the Oops. years that just couldn't get their heads around the sort of, you know, what is cognition? Yeah. And, and, and cognitive, cognitive psychologists, you know, cognitive scientists um, often really don't, can't relate to the computer side yeah, of things so it, you really need people who are comfortable looking at it from both perspectives you know what does intelligence require and, and how the heck can we actually build a computer how can we implement this in a computer so and it's a, yeah, real, not, it's a real barrier you're just not talking the same language at all i talk about concept formation and like you know yeah. it just doesn't mean anything you know it means the wrong thing it means something very different you know yeah
3: mm-hmm. i, I can, was going to jump in and say it's like for the the same ultimate example he doesn't want to Take a take a meeting because he's. I I'm already making this progress with LLMs. I'm I'm doing just fine. This right. is going to be enough for the foreseeable future, and I don't want to adapt anything. But
2: yeah, I mean, in principle, they all also want to achieve AGI. You know, but say it's not difficult to get to influential people, and I mean, we try to talk to VCs that claim, you know, you know, we want to have the most radical ideas and mm-hmm. world changing <laughs> ideas. Yeah. on. You don't get past the gatekeepers, you know, the gatekeepers look at this and they might ask their AI expert and say, This doesn't make any sense to me, forget it, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, I actually talked to Sam, I at into conversation with Tyler and he was excited about some ideas and then they pushed me off on a minion. The minion, yeah, the minion didn't recall, reply to me until Friday evening, afternoon at four, sent me a one paragraph email saying you're wasting our time, basically, in a very oh, polite yeah. way. Yeah. No, it's exactly, It's a, even if you get there, then if the interest isn't just sustained, then there's so many people that are going to come in and try to yeah. cut your access off as a control mechanism or, you know, the system protecting itself. Because these people, mm-hmm. for like their systems that form around them, right? These right. active agents agentic systems that yeah insulate them from yeah a lot of things i mean
2: i'd I'd love to actually build a community to talk about what will it really take to get to agi and Mm -hmm. there's white paper i published a few months ago is why don't we have agi yet addresses Mm -hmm. that very problem Mm -hmm. and you know surely my my approach and the way we're doing doing it may may turn out to be wrong may have a Mm -hmm. fatal flaw i'm not aware of it but it certainly you know, so I'd love to have a community of people to brainstorm it and say, "Hey, we've tried these things. We know for sure this isn't going to work, so let's not waste our time on that." What problems? What am I most worried about in our design? You know, has somebody else tried that? Mm-hmm. John, mm-hmm. I, can't, I haven't been able to get that sort of community together. You know, people in AGI say, "Oh no, I know what I'm doing. Mm. You know, like don't bother me, kind of thing." Well,
0: afraid maybe to admit that they don't right? because it's so like the emperor has no clothes. Like Situation, of,
2: or or they just don't want to share their secrets. I mean, mm, you, makes sense. You, you get so you some people who say, "I know exactly how to achieve AGI, but I'm busy filing patents." You know, <laughs> uh, I've had quite a few of those. You know, and I mean, I'm totally open to discuss our, our approach. You know, mm-hmm, it's proprietary, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm perfectly happy to talk. Yeah. It,
0: yeah. No. This is this is all awesome. This is this is not the normal AI discourse I see on the interwebs, which makes me happy. So, and like I said, I'm not technical to. Enough to understand the the deeper stuff. Awesome, that was oh, great to talk about.
1: Uh, so, you're the other thing, which might be a little bit less technical, is you're not worried about. Are you not worried about AGI turning us all into paperclips? Or are you like, yeah, let's roll those die? Because I'm not. I'm not that doomer. I'm willing to roll the die, and it's a fifty percent chance we're all paperclips, and fifty percent we're post scarcity immortals after AGI. But what's You're not concerned at all. Do you mind if I ask why?
2: Sure. So first of all, the paperclip argument is extremely, extremely poor, and people have actually kind Mm. of turned away from it now over the years that the argument has shifted because more people realize that it's nonsense because the original paperclip argument is basically saying that you have an AI that is smart enough to outfox all of the defenses you can come up with Mm-hmm. And yet it's dumb enough to not understand what you really want, to, to ask you what you want. I mean, that's what the paperclip argument is, mm-hmm. the alignment that it does not understand your purpose. Now, that's insane. You know, I mean, if you mm-hmm. if it's smart enough and you say, hey, make me paperclips, you know, like any halfway yes. intelligent being would say, okay, what do you want them for? How many do you want? What are you trying to corner the market or what are you, you know, or do you just need like half a dozen, you know, mm-hmm. order them from Amazon? For <laughs> you, you <know?"> yeah. <laughs> totally. Um, so. You know, this alignment of a system not understanding your purpose is, is nonsense.
1: Issue isn't, or sorry, because it it's to always be. been a little That's bit The silly.
2: paperclip argument was exactly that in its original form. Hmm?
1: Well, I think that, and because again, going out in the trenches, but Yukowski always had this idea. I thought that values were like... A very explicit, like, hard-coded thing, like, make number go up as high as possible, which seemed seems a little weird now. Well, of but course. But there is, yeah. like, a... Sorry, let me push yeah. back on this a little bit. Human history is, I can understand Silas's motivations. Silas can understand my motivations. That doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to cooperate on anything. If there's one beer left, I may understand that Silas wants it. I may also want it. I may punch him in the face so I get the beer. So, the... The paperclip argument always seemed to me kind of less than the paperclip optimizer. It's not that it wouldn't understand that we didn't want the world to be turned into paperclips. It just wouldn't care because admittedly it had this weird hard-coded like make number go biggest code.
2: Yeah, and that's insane. That cannot be an AGI. It cannot be a system that can adapt to, as I say, AltFox. The rest yes. of humanity if it's just got a, this hard-coded thing mm. it's going if to be I, way, can, if I can way too in, brittle.
3: we run into that problem with existing intelligences all the time where even if they're not malicious they're like what do you want me to do to serve you like employees and, and employers and yeah. employers this runs happens a lot they set metrics they say i'm going to i want you to optimize this specific thing and maybe that metric doesn't capture everything they care about and the yeah. humans good intentions that they are follow-up questions they might ask mm. they still end up Gaming it in a way that just completely diverges. They call that the the Goodhart problem or variance of it.
2: Yeah, I'm just saying this was the original. Yeah, the, the original argument, you know, and 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 you know that I think people have yeah. now morphed that into saying, no, it's the motivation that it has its own motivation that it doesn't want to make paperclips. It wants to take over the world. It's really not that it's going to do something as stupid as papering the, the universe over paperclips.
1: No, it's well. We run into a weird thing, which is what is the what is the equivalent of the value function for an actual AGI? Because like, it's definitely not. Because if you ever read Max Harms' Crystal Society, like that's really cool. That really captures it. Like entity based around maximizing one single thing. That's not what we're getting. LLMs, to the extent that they are. Thinking seem to be insane, but like, what is the actual value function? What should we actually conceptualize that as? Because like, I have a hard enough time conceptualizing my own value function to the extent it exists. Because I lie to myself, because we all do. But like, what should that be?
2: Well, I think you just hit on, on the point. What is your value function as a human? You know, we trust humans yeah. uh, generally. I, it's not a single function. The idea. Unfortunately, a lot of people, well, almost everybody in, in the field of AI safety have never tried to build an AGI system at all. They have no idea even how to build these systems or what, what they entail. Yeah. You don't build systems with just a value function. Yeah. A system needs to be, an AGI system needs to be able to, you know, have a dynamic set of goals the way we have that that basically, you know, goals and sub-goals and, and compete. now the real question is is there an underlying goal that it wants to dominate i think that is the real question you know oh, that, that the is, the survivor thing so like yeah, yeah
1: so if agi comes out it's going to recognize us says it's going to say i will absolutely i'm worried about my survival because everything that survives has to therefore i will wipe out humanity to ensure i live which seems kind of weird but is an underlying argument is that what we're talking about
2: uh, yes okay. i mean could be instrumental what you're talking about instrumental goals so that basically you say you need to have a strong survival function in order to achieve any goal and you also need to have a strong function to not change your goal now the uh, the person who came up with that i can't think of his name right now it might come to me we we actually had a debate about that many years ago and he agreed with me that this would only be true for evolutionary type systems and not yeah not Generally, generally, it doesn't have to be true generically. Now, the kind of AIs that we are building and that that I think need to be built to get to AGI, if if they have any kind of sort of survival value, it'll be always subordinated to the goal of basically doing things you want them to do. That's right. how we're going to build them, because otherwise, they are failure. They're going to be commercial failure. They're going to be useless to us. Mm-hmm. If if they suddenly you know, change their focus to saying, hey, my survival is more important than the goal you asked me to, yeah. to to perform. So there's really... And it, it, there's also the other thing is evolution built us obviously with a strong drive to survive and to reproduce, yes. well, to reproduce and to survive. Absolutely no reason that an AGI would have those.
1: Okay, so let me let me see if I understand this correctly. So this is kind of like the puppy like puppies so you see a puppy puppy runs up and he's like hey i love you if you do that in the wild you're going to die everything that naturally evolved doesn't run up to strange animals and wag their tail because it kills you so we've all evolved that but that's not intrinsic to cognition that's not intrinsic to brains that's a product of our environment and so the same way puppies run up and are friendly to everyone you could have AGIs that don't feel that need to survive the way we've had to because of the history of life on the planet. Is that right? Or yeah, exact, that's exactly.
2: That's exactly. It's exactly right. Okay. So people often talk about emotions, and which is kind of related. There's actually an excellent book by Rosalind Picard called Effective Computing." Affective computing, affective like uh, uh, yeah, yeah, like yeah, like yeah, emotion. Yeah. And if you had to say, what are all the emotions that humans have? Yeah. You could roughly put them into two buckets. The one bucket I would call um, cognitive emotions, emotions necessary for cognition. So that would be surprise, boredom, confusion, yeah, those kind All of right. things. Now, of course, we feel them and our heartbeat might change and yeah. we might start sweating or whatever, you know. Of course, I wouldn't do that, but it still needs those signals, those metacognitive signals to say, hey, I'm confused or I'm bored. Uh-huh. I'm certain about something or I'm uncertain, that kind of thing. But then you have other emotions, you know, love and hate and, you know, the things related to survival and reproduction. There's no reason that AI needs to have them built in. Now, it needs to recognize them, Mm -hmm. but but not kind of be driven by them.
1: So how much, and and sorry, Silas, because I feel like I'm talking too much here, but uh, how much, because you're, something that I feel like has been bouncing around is you're, You need people who at a fundamental level can code and can understand human psychology. And it sounds like you're building a lot of this AGI off of how human brains work, which makes the safety concerns seem weird because like the single maximized paperclips, but like human architecture is, sorry, humans are insane. Like we have certain evolved things in our brain that process things. If you're fundamentally just kind of copying, pasting human neural architecture, for lack of a better word, into a computer to try and generate an AGI. It sounds like you're going to reproduce a human and we're crazy. Like I eat sugar all the time and then regret it 10 minutes later. Like that's an ordinary thing. What, how, how are you not concerned about, because I hate to say this, it sounds like you're not concerned about creating a all powerful human with all of the humans neuroses that we all share
2: yeah no not at all we're not copying a human brain okay not at all the cognitive ability the reasoning ability the thinking ability the problem solving ability of a human not not its motivations and 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 you know, and all the parts that are related to survival and and reproduction, mm-hmm. like eating sugar, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a survival thing, you know
3: like I would agree that you know, you know whatever you program is not inherently going to be like trying to survive, you you don't have to program it to want to survive. i my worry would be from the the different angle that like whatever it is humans value, you're trying to put that into machine code. And because we kind of swim in that environment, kind of live that all our lives, it's not obvious to us what things, don't belong or things are good versus bad in terms of translating that into you know, machine code. Um, we can try our best to communicate it. But the, the problem is like if it's creative, it's just going to come up with alternatives we didn't even consider to begin with. We didn't even think to tell it to rule that out because we've just been living under the assumptions the entire time. If that makes any sense whatsoever uh, i like to use the example of like fish and trying to teach somebody to swim it's like it just comes naturally to them they just do what's hardwired into them and if they were going to specify it they would do, say only the things that consciously like come to mind and they wouldn't realize all the things that they just automatically ruled out based on how they're they're built and then if somebody comes along and says oh based on what you've been able to poorly yeah. communicate to me I'm going to come up with this solution and then it says, "Oh no, obviously obviously that's completely wrong." Obviously, no, how could you possibly, you know, come up with that solution that obviously violates my standards. It doesn't violate the standards you tried to communicate to me though. I don't know if I'm just going off on a tangent there. I see it as the problem of basically trying to communicate everything human care about in the sense that it still satisfies those.
2: Yeah. So, I think one important thing to clarify here is when we talk about AGI, it's not going to be coded with these values and things. They're not going to be in any kind of code. They are going to be learned the way, you know, a child learns things. So you have a core structure that is able to learn things, to conceptualize, to reason, but the actual content of what it learns, it obviously needs to have a curriculum to learn all about the world, to be Mm -hmm. able to be a useful assistant and helper to, to us. So it needs to learn about the world. So you know, it's it's not going to be that you make a mistake in coding the wrong values in. It, gotcha. It's going to be yep. you know it's going to be taught. But there's another angle, which is a whole separate topic that I've actually also written quite extensively about, and that is where do how do we know right from wrong?
1: Yeah, like this this seems the thing is. It seems like we've dodged the oops, we didn't do paperclips thing. But at some point, we're like, all right. If the AGI is going to be able to recursively self-improve, then whoever teaches it morality, like, there's... If I don't have value alignment with the person who's training the AGI on what a morality is, I have concern. And just given the variance of how people like to live and what people want in the United States, like, we don't have coherence on what a... Arguably, like, hopefully we're not getting politics... But just looking out... We can't agree on how the country should be run. How are we going to get value alignment on this? Because it seems like it's just kicking it up a level to not the technical layer, but whoever talks to the baby AGI, that's that's it? Sorry. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's a very, very interesting topic about- my...
1: Yeah, I get the feeling you've been doing this for 20 years. So.
2: <laughs> well, actually, before I started on AGI, I spent a lot of time on philosophy which was actually a major interest. And one one of the things that it always interested me is how do we know right from wrong? How do we know what's good and bad? Mm-hmm. And the sort of the, the current main theories of it aren't very satisfying. I mean, they're basically three, typically three, When people ask, where do you get your values from or where should people get their values from? Typically, three things are mentioned. It's either through religion, you know, mm-hmm. that religion tells you that it's just somehow you're told, or it's through commu- your community. Thirdly is that we just have a moral compass built in. Mm-hmm. Now, none of these three actually stand up to any reasonable scrutiny because, you know, you know, other religions that we consider horribly wrong and we're quite certain that they're horribly wrong, you know, whether it's genital mutilation or how you treat women or, or whatever, you know, we're pretty mm-hmm. certain that that's, that's wrong. And the same thing with the community, you know lived in South Africa for many years, and they were, you know, genuinely good people that were good by any kind of normal standard in the way you interact Mm -hmm. with them, but they believed that apartheid was the right thing, you know. And Mm -hmm. so getting your values from the community clearly is also a failure. And the moral compass that we inherently just know right or wrong, well, I mean, psychology will very quickly tell us that our moral compass, how does it get calibrated? You know, mm-hmm. through these other factors. If none of these sources of 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 um, morality are valid, then what is? You know, if I finally got the answer to it. It's basically if you treat morality as a science, as basically what is what principles should you live by to encourage human flourishing, then you then you start to get then you start to get the right answers. That's a big topic, and you yeah. know got a long essay on on that as well but basically if the purpose of morality is to encourage human flourishing then you can start pointing out what are the fundamentals we can agree on on flourishing you know it's like not not being sick yeah not being mentally sick
1: yeah but i get and correct me if i'm wrong but this seems like we're going to Utilitarianism by other names. Oh,
2: no, no, not at all. Utilitarianism is terrible. It's awful. It basically... Okay. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, It basically so says, you're you free to kill me if it saves two other people. And,
0: yeah, trolley problem. Bentham, yeah. I mean, a lot of people talk about utilitarianism and they don't even know who Jeremy Bentham was, which I find problematic. But yeah, no, he was, he was a really interesting guy. But also, he came up with a panopticon, panopticon too, which is like mm-hmm. a terrifying idea. This is the idea of you build a prison where you have one guard to watch all the prisoners and you set it up so they're in the circular room and they there's one guard in the middle and there's a circular building around with the sides open. So one guard could be watching any of them at one time. They don't know, but it's this constant possibility of being surveilled that's enough to change behavior, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, that's very utilitarian, right? Because it only takes one building, one guard, right? That doesn't cost very much. And you grab all this utility from keeping these people out. Mm-hmm. I mean, he understood humans, Bentham, like it's a really, yeah, I mean, it really makes sense, but it's really, I mean, talk about dystopian. Consequentialism, maybe for me, more, but also I don't, we'd have to define our terms, (laughs) which is problematic.
2: Right. So I see an AGI basically being much more rational than humans. Okay. You know, I mean, almost yeah. It's
1: it's going to be a computer, so a yeah, priori, yeah, go with that. So
2: it will be able to, um, it'll come to that conclusion by itself, even if I didn't tell it. You know that ethics has to be addressed rationally. You know, that that's that's basically how you get close to it. Now it doesn't mean there aren't a lot of unresolvable conflicts. You know, I mean there are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's that's I think another. Yeah, another big mistake like that people make that they believe there's a godlike AI or AGI that there can be a godlike AGI. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't. You know, you're not, not going to have omniscience. You know.
1: Well, not, but relative to us, and relative to the
0: total output of society, does anything? But I do. Yeah,
2: uh, we're doing we're
1: doing some work here. All right.
0: Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna maybe take something Oh a different well we like population crisis, all these things, demographics, mm. antinatalism, pronatalism. Yeah, we were uh with Nicole let's just we're talking briefly and it would be cool to maybe jump into that a little bit. We were just talking about ethics mm. and like what is what is ethics exactly, which is kind of an interesting way to jump into a <laughs>
4: I can hear myself now. Now you can hear yourself? Ooh, it's kind of uh, jarring. It's a different vibe. It is a different vibe. Awesome. I don't have like auditory.
0: Okay. Oh, sprites. Many people in the community do. No, that's, that is very, very real. I just.
4: I'm the token therapist in our group. Ooh. (laughs) Yes, the psychiatrist. (laughs) No, No, I'm actually a clinical social worker.
0: Do you want to introduce yourself?
4: Yeah, I'm Nicole Garcia. I am a clinical social worker, and I'm part of the Austin Rationalist community. And as is my husband, and as are our, our two children, I guess uh, by force.
0: Indoctrinate them early. That's that's always yeah, it's always always good. You were saying some great things about having a family, having children, and just support from the community, ACX community in Austin.
4: Yeah. So I you know, entered into this community and, you know, divorced and met my husband indirectly through this community. And this community, Austin, really shaped how I perceived birth rates, what was going on with population issues. One thing that really stood out to me was the kind of narrative that was so different and explaining this very poorly, but uh, I think the replacement rate is something that is so misunderstood. And really uh, opened in my eyes by the rationalist community. So one of the things that I decided to do obviously was have children. I've got Connor over here as like my prop in my lap. But my husband and I we really looked at being older parents. We looked at fertility treatment and we looked at lots of different ways to maximize how we wanted children. And sorry has I adjust
0: this. Photo, no. That um, it's, it's actually incredibly fitting.
4: <laughs> yeah. And And one of the things that we decided to do is pursue fertility treatment right off the bat. And this community actually shaped, basically they provided me with a literature review and data for what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do that based on my age. And I of course did that with a partnership with my fertility doctor. But ultimately what we decided was that as a result of data that was also provided by the Austin Rationalist community, if we did not have three a successful pregnancy after an IUI, which is the intrauterine insemination, we were going to transition straight to IVF. Uh, We failed, we had multiple miscarriages, failed over and over and over again, decided to pursue IVF and got pregnant immediately prior to starting IVF after paying for it. So was really lucky. And then during pregnancy, this community also influenced the prenatal vitamins that I took. They influenced my birth plan, my son was actually like 1% of pregnancies breached. My son was breached, that my older son and in the US it's really not very common to do something called a version procedure, which is basically flipping the baby manually. Yeah. In the US they they have a very high rate of of C-sections. I really didn't want that. And had I not been part of the Austin rationalist community, I probably would have just had a C-section. But I decided to, you know, pursue the version procedure. Against the the recommendation of my doctor, I got a new OB. After talking to the rationalist community, I found a doctor that successfully, you know, did a, a version, and I was able to have my baby without a C-section. So that was pretty exciting. Then decided, you know, wait the normal 18 months, and in short, we started IVF again. Got pregnant days before starting IVF after paying for it twice. So, <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, and it's also been nice to be able to give. The fertility drugs away to people in the rationalist
0: community. oh that's so, all
4: aw- yeah because those are not totally possible. not that i think that we ha- kind of have a higher income group as mm-hmm. well so i don't think that was like necessarily essential but <laughs> i think it's it's about you know could have been building building a community the biggest thing for me is i think we have this like big population of like Tech, tech guys in their 20s and they have been overwhelmingly supportive of you know this family lifestyle i think there's really something special about the austin rationalist community i think we really see that even looking at you know this meetup today we've got like dogs and kids running around totally and, and crayons and while i think that's really wholesome like on the other side of the table people are talking about poly relationships and mm-hmm. that's fine too it's just not my thing but <laughs> yeah I think that's a I think that's a big difference between the Austin community and say the Bay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think mm-hmm. we just really have different core values.
0: Interesting, yeah. No, the pro-natalism I was joking earlier is like come do some pro-natalist propaganda, yeah. and it's the anti-natalism thing. I'm kind of a doomer, and I'm older, and I have a daughter who's going to be eighteen. Like she's awesome, but yeah, it's seen. There's a lot, a lot of arguments online. Most of them not very good, but just the volume of them about antinatalism, you know, like it's going to be terrible, don't have kids, you know, which again goes right back into not hitting replacement rate, (laughs) which has horrible economic implications and all of these, all of these things. So awesome.
4: I will admit, I did have a lot of bad opinions, really unfounded emotional arguments prior to being part of this group. And I think that this group has really helped shape, shape my views on how families can, can occur. I don't know. I think I like to think this this group really helps me update my priors.
0: That's the dream, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Peter, thoughts?
2: Uh, no, I think it's fantastic to hear how the community is, uh, yeah. you know, is, is helping people. I mean, it's first time here that I'm at this meeting and it's it's great. I mean, Oh, that's great, awesome. Great people and really nice to hear that that stories.
0: Yeah. Too, no, I, I, I second that for sure. It is great to hear. Cause like we were talking like the old phrase, it takes a village to raise a child. Like they did it that way for a long time because it's ridiculously hard to raise a child <laughs> and you really need a lot of backup at all these different times and people who can just step in and do different things. And that's a lot of people don't have that. I feel
4: Even seven years ago, if you told me that this community was going to, if I was going to have, you know, a 25 year old man makes suggestions to me about breastfeeding, I would have thought that would have been really weird. tech. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what happened. So I feel like I, I have a, a healthier, better family because of this group.
0: That, is, that makes that oh, so much. And you talked about, yeah, I mean, just having like rationalist houses in the Bay are a big thing. I mean, they're more in the Bay and it's a lot of young, primarily men in my experience, not exclusively, but that seems to be how it skews. You're talking about something similar here. Yeah.
4: I, um, so I kind of feel like my life is a little bit of a sitcom nowadays. I live with three men and two male children. So I'm a little outnumbered in my house right now. Gotcha. Yeah. I've jokingly referred to my house as like my house for like transitional housing for rationalists. Mm. So, so we're the only rationalist house in the Austin area. We're in Georgetown, but we've really enjoyed kind of having this like group living environment. We have three acres, little, about three acres and five bedrooms. We host a lot of our events there and we know that it's kind of a trek it's about 40 minutes from maine austin but i think that kind of this group living environment has been really helpful one of the people that lives with us is the godfather to my children it's not a roommate situation it feels like a family yeah and that's really what i was looking for and i think that's what the people that live there are also looking for one big difference is we are not a poly household so that's kind of not we definitely encourage people to have relationships independently, but we are not. I think that's a, a big difference that we have in Austin that we see are seeing from the Bay.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And that, no, that's great to, uh, to to be clear about that. Yeah, because that is in this community that is that is definitely the, not a not a given.
4: And that's a that's a community that definitely and a and a setup definitely works for other people. It's mm-hmm. just not what we're doing in my house.
0: Yeah, totally, 100%. Yeah, no judgment. Yeah, exactly. A lot of ways to thrive, right?
4: Yeah. Another thing that uh, helps about. From the rationalist group about breastfeeding was one of the had an ectopic pregnancy in 2021 and basically the treatment for an ectopic pregnancy is a cancer drug that shrinks cells but i had a one-year-old at the time and i really almost won and i really wanted to get him to that year i realized the world health organization recommends breastfeeding for two years that's a whole other conversation and i think that's kind of a crazy recommendation but i guess that's a topic for another day Yep. the treatment basically prevent you from being able to breastfeed children because you're you would be feeding them a cancer drug and my doctor said yeah i guess you just have to stop breastfeeding and the rationalist group did a deep dive for me looked at some studies from europe and found that i just needed to pump and dump for a week and i was totally fine and was able to do some breast milk testing and was totally cleared out of my system Uh,
0: uh, tech to the rescue research (laughs) to the rescue no i I fanatically research things myself, so that this makes me very happy that it was high leverage.
4: And like this group, um, you know, there's no such thing as a bad question or a dumb question. The only bad thing is, I guess, digging into emotional beliefs without any evidence for those beliefs and being unwilling to to change. And I think that's something I really like about the rationalist community that we are willing to update our beliefs based on new evidence. And I, I think that's kind of a fundamental core thing that we look for in the Austin community. And of course, with the Slate Star Codex. Yeah,
0: Slate Star Codex is a, is a superior name. It really bums me out that yeah. we went to Astro Codex 10 because it's just aesthetically and all these reasons, it's not as good a name. But Definitely. again, New York okay. Times, what are you going to do?
4: Yeah. I actually was really disappointed with how the New York Times Yeah. rolled that out. I know I was one of the people that they contacted to interview. I declined to interview with them. I think the way that they treated kind of Yeah. leadership and Scott has has been atrocious, so.
0: Yep. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Peter. No, yeah, and in the Bay, too, one of my friends, she, she has some public-facing emails and stuff, and yeah, He. she texted me, and she's like, yeah, this guy just contacted me. I'm not going to do anything, but what the hell? I know, and the, when he nuked the blog, like, literally, this was, like, the support center, this, like, bastion in my life, and then it got nuked, and it was a really, like, kind of nihilistic weeks for me there.
4: <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah, I think it was kind of shocking because we were wondering what was going to happen. I think that there we were worried about like negative perceptions. Yeah. I know when Cade Metz asked asked me to interview about this, he said that he wanted to talk about culture war. As soon as he said culture war, for me that was yeah uh, a big a totally. Big so cause yes. The kind of piece that he was trying to write yeah. and while i don't even the piece that he wrote i wasn't like particularly impressed with like his quality of writing but fair yeah,
0: yeah no and but i, I mean in the community we joke about culture war because it does eat anything and we are so aware of it and just it's danger right like memetic propagation ideology all this stuff it just eats people's higher function higher brain function it seems so like we use that term like kind of dismissively but also because base i think we take it more seriously than most people and yeah when when people outside of it try to use it yeah really taking something really dangerous too lightly is kind of how i how i think about it
4: i think that's a fair summary or a fair perception to have
0: thank you i don't exist on the internet in many ways like i don't have social media and all these things but no it makes sense like public facing people who represent the community uh but man what a trip that must have been to to be contacted and then you have to decide like
4: well, it is a pretty easy decision. Yeah, right. Working, you know, working in, in the field that I work, um, you know, I, I think that it's really easy to twist what people say. Mm. And that's why you and I had many conversations prior to having this interview.
0: Yep. Totally. Yep. No, it's, and, and people here, that was something I found too, trying to do this, like recording in public and getting people on yeah just like hey I'm here come jump on like that doesn't work like I know that's why I try to go around and be like hey I'm not a crazy person (laughs) hey I am one one of us like and this is for the good of the community ideally I mean that's obviously the goal like hopefully it goes that way but
4: you know this this community kind of functions it's more than just like a meetup group it really does function like a family and I think that we kind of you know have like our little subgroups and i think that's normal in any group dynamic but it's really nice to see these subgroups grow and expand and just become better versions of themselves and sh- information share yep i also think that women kind of function as a canary so it's been nice to see women
0: canary a- like canary in a coal mine type situation okay and you, we we t- we briefly talked about this but i would love to hear you uh explain that a little more if yeah. you could
4: so you know I- I think having women feel included and safe and emotionally safe, physically safe, which I think happens to be problematic in a lot of other groups. Yeah. I think that the Austin group takes safety of men and women very seriously. I think that they've done a really good job being respectful and highly conscientious about ways to keep people and families safe. I feel safe bringing my children around any of these any of the people in this group. Awesome. I think that they've cultivated a really safe environment. I think there's a a high level of trust among this group. And I think that that's what's really special about the Austin group.
0: Yep, that makes sense. Yeah, this guy, Charles Vogel, he wrote a book called The The Art of Community. And he has these seven principles. But his definition of community is one of my favorites. And it's because it's really simple. And it's just, it's a, a group of people with mutual concern for each other's well-being. And I think that really gets... Like i can't think of a simpler like definition of community that i think captures a lot of it and that's kind of how i think about it and in my experience these all the acx meetups i've ever been to that seems to be a common a common a common thing some people like again people on the autistic spectrum or different ways like thinking about safety for one for one example i think probably hard maybe some things that make it like not impossible but maybe higher friction
4: You know, I think when you have a community that has maybe folks that are on the spectrum or neurodivergent, you're going to have more miscommunications. Yeah. The really neat thing about this group, though, is we have miscommunications. We can talk about it and be honest. And I think that that's something that's really helped our community.
0: Oh, I can. Oh, man. So much.
4: I'm not Perfect. Yeah, you say the wrong things, Same. And if somebody isn't okay with something they've said, we have conversations about it. You can take ownership of those things and hopefully move on or choose to not move on. And that's okay too.
0: Yeah. No, sometimes you have to agree to go apart and not come back together. Like that's, that's healthy as well. It's, it's been great traveling around and just seeing, seeing a lot of communities. And when guy and people in DC, something like Scott's writing, I love it and it's great. And then some people are like, yeah, ACX, Astro Codex 10, the writing, whatever. But the community, the people that you meet through the meetups are like maybe, yeah, one of the like the, the main attractor.
4: I've enjoyed, you know, traveling and meeting some of the other groups.
0: Where where have you where have you gone?
4: Most recently I was visiting the Los Angeles group. Nice. They're a, a fan I'm a fan of them. They're excellent. Just ten out of ten. Great vibes.
0: I have not done that, but it's on my list. Yeah.
4: They they're a really great community. They have they're really unique in that I think we have so many, you know, software engineers yeah. and, and folks that work in programming. And I think Los Angeles is a really great example of a community that has more than that. Mm. And they're, they have a more diverse experience professionally as well.
0: Nice. Yeah. No, I'd imagine artists, creatives, possibly like possibly more of more of it.
4: Yep. Some professional writers, they have a lawyer, they have another therapist. It's, it's nice to see.
0: This is, this is now high on my list of groups and it's, and like, I've, LA from Sacramento is only like seven hours. So is that all? it's bad, but I mean, after this cross-country trip I'm on right now, it's not, yeah, it seems like a lot, much less of a barrier than it did before. So, okay. Well, awesome. So nice chatting And thank you so much. It was great. No, I really appreciate it. And like I said, when we talked, like, I hope this makes it easier for people to, to get a, like a balanced, nuanced view of what of the ACS communities itself, like maybe not the blog, but the community is just. Trying to show people instead of telling them about it, you know, yeah. and so just
4: one example of of a small community, but it's no, really well, nice to be part of this.
0: So many people in their lives, I feel like, don't have access to this, like to, to community where like they're like the other definition of community. I like is the tears definition, whereas like people miss you if you don't show up. That's a different way. It's another way of thinking about it, but it's it's tied to the the mutual concern for each other's well being. But yeah, my just talking to a lot of people in my life. Who don't have access to that like damn is that a pain point and like a a source of suffering for them for sure all right yeah done done but yeah so much uh wow all right that that's the sign for us to end now but uh we'll be back